I've mentioned several times a book that I've been reading that Matthew loaned to me. And it's a book that uh, I'm now reading for the second time. And it's amazing things. When you read through something, it's like watching a movie you've watched before. And you say, you know, I don't remember seeing that when I looked at it before. And that's why I always, if it's a really good book, I'll read it twice. So I make sure I don't miss anything. But there are some principles in this book that I think are basic and foundational, which is what Chris is talking about on Sunday nights anyway, that we all need to be aware of and how we're, we should live our life if we want to live a life that is going to lead us where we want to be, and that is with God in the end. In, uh, I think it's in Matthew 8, we talk about, uh, there's a, a parable there in uh, verse 24. And my Bible, Bible titles it Two Foundations, which is probably a good title, but it's the story about the wise man and the foolish man. And it's talking about building a house. And the house that he's talking about is their life. What do you build your life on? Because that depends on, that helps determine how firm or how solid your life is. A lot of times we build our house on wealth or fancy houses or all the things we can buy, and we don't realize many times until it's too late that you're going to leave all of those to somebody else. Those aren't going to do you a bit of good. When you pass away and they have your funeral, what? Well, what kind of a car did he have? Did he have a really nice house? How much money did he have in the bank? doesn't matter. He left it all. So there's got to be something more important than things of this world. And when he talks about it in verse 24, he said, Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock, or a solid foundation. Some of the things we'll talk about tonight, because we're going to talk about five promises of God. And the idea is we build our lives on the promises of God, not on the promises of physical and earthly things, because those aren't very solid. He goes on the next verse and he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. You know, we put our trust a lot of times in people and things that we shouldn't, and we wind up deeply disappointed and hurt. We have to be careful what we put our trust in. You know, when we talk about believing in God, I think a better way to say it would be trusting in God. I think everyone that has any common sense at all believes there is a God. As I've told the story before, there was a man who lived up behind us when I was in high school that, uh, matter of fact, the guy that we'd bought our house from. And he, he was ill. He had, he had cancer, and he was going to die. And my mother was a nurse, and she was going up and helping take care of him. And she asked him, says, 
because he had a reputation of being an infidel, she asked him, do you believe in God? She says, well, any, he said, any man would be a fool not to believe in God. You're looking around and you can see all of creation and know that we can't do that. Some higher power had to do that. Well, that was an important point. But there's a lot of difference in believing in God because the Bible said even the devils do that much, but in trusting God, knowing that he's there. You know, I, I had a friend whose funeral I did recently, and I made a comment at that funeral that one thing you could always say about that man is whatever he told you, you could take it to the bank. You could depend on it. It was always right. And that's how we need to live our lives. And we do that by putting, making sure that our house or our life as we see it is on the right foundation. In Matthew 8, another story is told, I think that illustrates the trust and the confidence that we have to have in God. There was a centurion who came to Jesus and he said, uh, Sir, I'd, I'd like you to uh, heal my slave, my servant. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you and heal him. He said, no, no, no. He didn't want that. He said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell one, go, and he goes. And I tell another one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, the Bible says, and this is in the same opening we just had, Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And the next verse, And his servant was healed at that very moment. That's trust. You know, we believe in a lot of things, but we need to learn and have to develop trust. Because this man believed in the power of the Lord to keep his word. From the beginning of time, starting way back in Genesis, where Jesus was present with God, and they made all the earth. They made all kinds of promises. They created all kinds of things. Even when they created man that we'll get to in a minute, when he looked at it, he said, It's all good. It's all good. Faith is a deeply held belief that God will keep his promises. God has made some wonderful promises to us. And his promises, because of who he, who he is, are irrevocable. In other words, you can take it to the bank. That's the way it's going to be. And this is what's important for us to want to know in that it's because of who he is. When it talks about the Bible in the very first verse, it says, in the beginning. Now, a lot of people have a joke about that. 
and they said that's the example of the first baseball game in the big inning. God. That tells a story right there. God created the heavens and the earth. But the important thing, when he had created everything that we see around us as far as the trees, the sky, the light, the darkness, the waters, and the waters and the earth being separated so we don't have to live underwater in some place called Atlantis like they do in fantasy land sometimes. But we have real land to stand on. Then he did the crowning thing when it came to mankind, which is the first promise of God. And that he's made man in his own image. Man is special. The greatest thing that you and I can do or the greatest mistake we can make is to ever think that we're not important. Each one of us are vitally important. Important enough, first of all, that Jesus would die for us. We think, well, Jesus doesn't even know I exist. Well, the Bible says he does. He said, not only does he know you exist, he knows how many hairs you've got on your head. And that part of his memory is easier when it comes to some people than it does others because they don't have much hair left. And the old expression that you always, that bald people always say, well, said the Lord made a few beautiful heads and the rest of me put hair on. But the important thing is God knows everything about you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows everything about you. And to show how important we are and his whole creation is, it says there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground except he knows about it. Well, if he takes care of the sparrows and keeps that much information and understanding about them, what do you think he does to us? We are created in his image. That's vitally important for us to understand. I am somebody special because I am in the image of God. Therefore, I need to live and I need to act like I'm in God's image. The second thing that we need to realize, the promise of God, is that the devil's days are numbered. We see all the time, we've been studying in one class, in the adult classes in the book of Revelation. And it gives flashes always of the end. And the important thing is every time it talks about the devil and what he's involved in, he always has a limit. In other words, God is limiting him. He's only around for a short time, and then he's gone. In the deal we said this morning, we talk about it, and it says... When it compared to all of the time that it uses, he says, the devil's going to be able to do this for about an hour. In other words, he's limited. He has no control. From the beginning to the end in the Bible, the story is always good versus evil. And the important thing about it is that good always wins. Now, sometimes you think you may be close to losing it because everyone has been like that. Remember in Revelation, there are saints who have died and they say, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Their patience is thin. But God's patience goes on and on and on. You can look in uh, uh, Psalms chapter 73 where he talks about the nation of Israel when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
You know, and he says, I did this for you, I did this for you, and I did this for you. And you complained and rejected me. He said, I still kept going and I kept doing things for you. God still does that for us today because the Bible says he's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to salvation. That's his plan. It's us, ourselves, that messes it up. In the garden, when Jesus was praying, and he knew that he was facing death, facing the most agonizing kind of death that's known to mankind. As we've talked before, we talk about today, people go out and kill a half a dozen people, and they talk about executing them. Well, we can't do that. That's inhumane. You know, we started off with hangings, which a lot of them started right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. That's the way execution, but that was too inhumane. We've got to do away with that. So we move up to the gas chamber, and then after a while, oh, that's not humane either. And then we go from there to the electric chair, and that's probably not very humane either. And now we go to the lethal injection, and their client, that's not humane. But the cross, there was nothing humane about that, and nobody complained about it. To take a man and stretch him out and hang him on a cross, I, I thought just the misery and, and the loss of blood and, and the, the beatings they went through was what killed him. No, that wasn't what killed people. They suffocated to death because they couldn't breathe. The most horrible death known to anyone in any time. They would stand up on their legs in order to relieve the pressure between their feet and their arms where they're outstretched in order to get a breath. That's why at the end they went to break their legs so they couldn't stand up anymore, hasten their death. Of course, Jesus had already passed away, so they just stuck a spear in his side instead. Just wanted to make sure he didn't leave. Another important thing that we have to remember, another promise of God, you know, we always are hearing about wills, and, you know, endowments, various things like that. But we have the greatest endowment that has ever been given because we're God's heir. That's important. We're a part of God's family. And that's why we gather today, and I look at us as family. I look at each one of you just as closely, uh, you know, I feel close to you because we're part of the family of God. We're all supposedly headed for the same place and working for the same thing. And we don't comprehend what it's like to be an heir of God. We don't comprehend what it's like to really know the promise of God that you be faithful till death and I'll do what? Your inheritance is a crown of life. It doesn't matter how many accomplishments you attempt and fail, but that's one that we don't want to fail, simply because that's vital that we be able to spend eternity with God. When we think about people dying, and most of us just don't really give a thought about their being in hell. And they'd like to believe that hell would just go away. There's no such place like that. 
But the Bible very, very clearly says it is, and there's only one way, and we have to follow Jesus to the other place. When he said in John, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We don't, have, we don't realize how important those three words are. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the way. And that's how we become part of the family of God and become an heir of the promises that God gives to us. Another thing that's important, another promise, is that our prayers have power. We have to realize the power simply because of who we're talking to. You know, for some reason, we don't talk to God like we do everybody else. We don't use the same phrases. We talk to him like, you know, he's different. But the important thing about it is that God knows us better, really, than we even know ourselves. And so we can be very open about him. When we offer prayers, sometimes there are these fancy-worded prayers to try to make us sound real religious. And if all we're trying to do is sound religious, I can assure you Jesus sees right through that. A lot of times when, for years, I was traveling on a semi across the United States, that was good time for me because that gave me quiet time. A lot of times, driving down a road, I'd simply say, Lord, it's me again, you know. And I talked to him just like he was sitting in the seat next to me. He's got to become real to you. But we see the power of prayer as demonstrated with Elijah. You remember when Elijah was building the sacrifice and he was with the uh, prophets of Baal and they were both going to build an altar and see which one of their gods responded to their prayers. Well, Baal tried it and for some way maybe God had a help in it. It was taken care of. But when it came to the sacrifice or the offering that Elijah had set up, he says, okay, let's build a tabernacle. We put the calf there. And then he poured water over all of it. Put a trench around it so it would be good and wet. Every reason in the world that they could not light the fire. But what happened? Elijah then prayed to God, and God not only lit the fire, he dried up the water and made believers of all of them because he had promised Prayer is powerful. When we realize that, our influence, our impact, not only in our own lives but on the lives of others will become dramatically more powerful. When we realize that I don't control anything, I've got to trust him to, to control it. But one of the most important promises that God makes, I think, is that we fail to understand that God understands you and me. And the way he does that, because he says no matter what happens to you, what kind of temptation, what kind of a problem you've had, the old expression we use is, been there, done that. I've been through that. I know what you're going through. And he also promises, I won't ever let anything come to you that you can't handle. Now, you might think you can't handle it, and you may want to give up, 
But he said, if you trust me, he says, we'll handle it together. God understands everything we experience. A lot of times you talk to people, and you hear some of the most negative things, especially if you work out in corporate America. Man, you're barraged with negative things, bad things, bad things, people, bosses looking to try to catch you do something wrong instead of catching you doing something right. The wrong concept. If you're a boss, your employees, try to catch them doing something right and then compliment them. You'd be surprised how much more work you get out of them like that because you make them feel good about themselves. And that's what's important in understanding that God understands everything we go through. We don't need to ever get down on ourselves because we know that he's always there to help us. Help us. I like the word, and of course I meant to write it down, didn't have time, along with the rush of things, that poem we see sometimes called Footprints. The story in that poem is so real. Where it talks about the man, he's talking to God, and he says, God, I, I see you all through my life where me and you's walking along together. Then all of a sudden I ran through a tough time and a hard time, and there's not but one set of footprints. Where did you go? You know what God's answer was? It was then that I carried you. Sometimes we have to let God help us. We have to realize that he's there and he has help that we can't provide on our own. And that's where the power of trusting him. My theme has always been, recently anyway, trust God and everything will be all right. That's all it takes. All right, we're going to sing this song. If you have, uh, if you miss communion, we're unable to take a communion. It's been prepared in room 100. And uh, don't forget the uh, meal afterwards, and uh, let's sing the song now.